If you had the chance, would you change the world? Welcome. I'm your host, Ebony Gustav, and this is Cooperative Journal, where I interview mutual aid initiatives and cooperatives from around the world who are creating alternatives to our current economic system. Soup is a micro-granting dinner that offers a platform to support creative local projects in communities around the world. In this episode, I speak with the founder of Detroit Soup, Amy Cahurl, about how soup has evolved into a global movement, the economic paradigm in Detroit, the human needs that are nourished during these dinners, and some inspiring successful projects that were seeded from soup. If you are interested in starting a soup in your own community, be sure to check out the show notes for a link to a very thorough guide available in English and Spanish. Hello, Amy, and welcome to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to learning more about soup and the ripple effects that have stemmed from it. So can you please explain what soup is and the inspiration behind its development? Absolutely. So. Soup is a micro-granting dinner that funds projects looking to make a city, a place better. Better is super subjective. So there is no real rules other than you only have four presenters who have four minutes to share, four questions back from, di- from the diners, and then the diners get a chance to eat, share, connect, and vote what project they think um, would use the money or needs the money the most. Um, but what I love about Soup is that Though I have pitched it with eating and with money, those two things become the least interesting things that happen in the room and about the place that we live in, who lives there, what we have access to, what we can share, and that can be physical things or knowledge. Um, Those are the things of why soup becomes interesting and important. Hearing and listening to each other becomes a paramount to the event. Um, What I love also about it is that it's a one-time event that happens, well, in Detroit, it happens all the time. Um, What happens in that room only happens at one time, and then you can replicate it. Uh, And another series of beautiful interconnections uh, happen the next time. You asked about inspiration. I forgot to answer that question. Okay, so what, what... I wish there was a beautiful story about rootedness and uh, we really wanted to conquer something. No, Uh, the inspiration of starting it was that a group of women had worked together on an event called Women. And it was just about supporting women in the arts, Um, mostly like independent DIY, basically like white, like hipster culture almost. Um, celebrating women in the arts in Metro Detroit. And it was just awesome group of women that, that at the time just, it felt like my sisters from another mister, if you will. And, and, and it felt like we were there to explore something, not to like make anything better, not to save anything, but let's make a dinner for artists that can come together and have a conversation. And maybe we can walk away with $200. Um, And that was really, uh, our friend Kate had experienced this dinner in Chicago from an arts um, collective called Incubate. And they were doing it in Chicago and some other, it was starting to ripple out into other communities. And because Detroit is the way that Detroit is, um, in the sense that it's so big that not just, you know, there's, you'll run out of artists soon enough uh, that it kind of turned into the methodology that was different than the incubate artistic model and turned into more of a community development, really taking on, um, it took years, but taking on uh, the flavor of this, of the place that that we were in. Yeah. not wrong to start, but I think that's the point to do a lot wrong. Definitely. It's all about just getting started and figuring it out as you go along. Yes. So I love our narrative because it's the opposite, I think, of like the American way of doing things, which is everything needs to be shiny and polished and without, you know, we can 
read into the crystal ball of the future and that they'll be uh, really low risk um, and that we, we, we are perfected in our sense of, of, of going out and doing this. Nope, we were just a bunch of dummies dumbing it up. And I, and I mean that lovingly, no, we were actually like, it's a really thoughtful group of people that we're thinking critically about art, I think at first. And then I think it turned into thinking critically about how do you value each other and how do we listen? Yeah. Well, on the note of just like starting from nothing and figuring mm. it out mm -hmm. um speak about where it got started how that even came about how you found a location oh great question so again yeah i think the soup beginning started with this with this with the same ethic that it that it carries out which was you connect with what you know and who you know uh so our friend jessica hernandez uh her family owned a restaurant and a bakery and above the bakery was kind of just a storage. I mean, beautiful, huge space that um, Kate saw once and just was like, this is where we're going to have to do this dinner. She had gotten, the, she was in grad school at Cranbrook and got a $500 grant to start something wacky and weird. And all of soup was wacky and weird. So at the women's event, we had done a confessional booth where we built uh, Kate had built this um, out of found wood in Detroit, which was abundant at the time. Um, she built this confessional booth that we you you would confess something from the at the women's event, and guess what? That turned into our voting booth because it had platforms and you could put the voting booth in it. The space was that Kate saw it. Jessica's family owned it. We moved a lot of storage stuff from the restaurants into a corner. There was an old couch that we'd pulled out. We had bought doors that we, from an architectural salvage that we had turned into to, to tables. Um, Kate and I had spent months making this giant dress for the, for the women's event that then turned into floor coverings. Um, old water or old wine bottles turned into water bottles, thrift store plates turned into our, turned into our dining utensils which then we pivoted from that years later but um yeah it was just people with an idea um connections to a place we asked they said yes they cost us zero dollars man uh yeah and we took objects that were found at thrift stores and around us and repurposed them into an opportunity and we used our ideas of of how you would promote a show so at the time, like we would put out flyers and talk, and then we did an interview, I think two months in uh, with a local free paper. And we just kind of put the word out there. And then there was enough of like a community of like artists that we already knew that we could tap into. And then we started on Super Bowl Sunday, 2010. So we weren't being thoughtful to the community or to community events, but I think for artists, that's a great place. That's a good time to invite artists to attend is probably Super Bowl Sunday. So it wasn't diverse. It wasn't age diverse. It wasn't racially diverse. Um, it wasn't super thoughtful. Um, I think through time, it became very thoughtful. And through time, it took on the energy of the place that we were in. And uh, there's a lot I would... I, I inform people to do differently that took us years to figure out, but um, yeah, I, I think it like no go, no take backsies. It was, I loved it. And I, I love that day. And I, that day is very solidified in my brain of the day that we started. I love that you Thank used you. a lot of upcycled and affordable materials, which is mm -hmm. very different from when you think of like, a fundraising type of dinner, which is very like posh and right. kind of well, uptight. Yeah, and we appeal to a business sensibility, which I could I can talk about this for hours. So you you'll have to stop me at some point. But um, I, I think it's thinking critically about how money is raised. Um, you know, the outcomes of soup after the ten years of doing it, and I've seen it not just in Detroit but globally. You know, 
a majority of women, a majority of winners end up being women. I think women find this approach a lot safer. Um, it isn't about a credit score or what you have or what you know. It's just about being vulnerable, um, which I think women find to be safer uh, than men in, in approaching something like this. Um, I think it feels really low risk. I feel like it feels really communal. It feels hopeful. Um, I think soup is just something that um, takes on the characteristics of the people in the room. Um, and it really showcases the ideas of the people who actually live there. And I think it appeals to people who take non-traditional paths or don't have the highest test scores or aren't getting into the highest of elite of spaces. I think it's just, I live here. Uh, you know, a lot of these ideas are just at day one which means that they're not polished enough to approach a bank or to a foundation or to even a Kickstarter approach. Um, you know, and Kickstarter wasn't really around when we started either. So that, you know, I have to remember a lot of times too, just how Facebook wasn't public yet and it wasn't inundated with the like button wasn't, I don't even think around. So, you know, it wasn't out to destroy democracy yet. <laughs> Just indirectly. <laughs> um, and I think it's important to speak about the history of Detroit and mm, it's, happy to. and how it is right now, because that speaks a lot to um, the sense of hope and community that mm -hmm. Soup brought to Detroit. Yeah. And, and brings. Um, I think it's changed. I think Detroit has changed drastically in 10 years. I mean, there was no billionaire who was going to save Detroit when Soup started what we were recognizing that it was going to be millions or thousands of small efforts from the people with what they knew and what they had access to. So in 2010, um, Detroit was considered one of the most dangerous cities in the, in the, in the U S um, it's police response times were between 60 and 90 minutes, um, on a safety aspect. Uh, its poverty rate was at 30 some percent. Um, and the median average income of a Detroiter was $18,000. I mean, it's some of the lowest um, graduation rates. It has some of the most uh, poorest neighborhoods. It's a predominantly black city that has been impacted the most by federal policies and by some corrupt humans. Um, and that's a very controversial, and I don't know where even I stand with a lot of the past um, leadership. You, you just inherit um, uh, knowledge and understanding. Um, but I think, it, I think you can blame local leadership and I think there's a rightful way to do that. Uh, but I do think that it, it, it mostly comes down to, you know, what happens when families can't inherit wealth, uh, what happens when you can't build generational wealth, what happens when whole neighborhoods move away within a 15 year span, what happens when you pull educational funding, what happens when crime takes, takes over, what happens when poverty takes over, really, I think all those things become domino effects of, of a place. Um, I don't think Detroit is, is I think it, it be, it's the biggest city. Um, but when you look at Rust Belt communities that have disenfranchised particular populations, this is the outcome. And Detroit, Detroit does it first. <laughs> and then it, and then you get to see the domino effect. I mean, but whatever I just said isn't different than Philadelphia, it's not that much different than the south side of Chicago. It's not that much different than Milwaukee. It's not that much different than Harlem. I, and I don't mean to pick on primarily black places, but it's hard not to when a city is primarily black. And what happens when you have had primarily white leadership that wants to gain wealth, but only for them and not for all of us. 
And that's a real question. And I think that's something that we all have to wrestle with. And this is, you know, this is what happens when we segregate ourselves. This is what happens when we're not being conscious or thoughtful to each other and that we're limiting to each other for race and gender. And that just this, oh. this is what we inherit. You know, this is why we talk about it so that things can change or that we can take different approaches to it. You know, development is 99% male and I think it's 88% white. So there's something about that, that, and, and I might be wrong on that statistic, but I know it's not like 50%. It might be 92% white, you know, like there's something about that, that, um, falls in line with a lot of our narratives and why gentrification becomes a really icky scenario real quick. Yeah. I, I actually am in love with all of the development that people in Detroit has, have created on their own. Mm. Like they didn't wait on the government no, to no. figure it out. <laughs> and I love that you brought up the government because I think that's something that I've never really interacted with. We've never really interacted with the government. The city is so big. You can fit New York, San Francisco, and Manhattan into its landmass. And so it's so big. And when it's just so big and it has such a lack um, of resources, a lack of functionality, a lack of funding, um, yeah, all you can do is just do it yourself. I, you know, that we weren't looking for permission. We weren't asking for permission to do soup. We did it on a Sunday because as citizens, we're always still here on a Sunday, whether the government is functioning or not. Um, I think that Detroit has a lot to grow and, and there's a lot of people on the ground who are innovative and thoughtful and know what it needs way more than someone from the outside. And I would dare say that that's how most all places, all places act. Um, I think we, we get s stuck into this idea that if I didn't go to Harvard or Yale or some Ivy league that like there is that we don't have the right answers. No, if anything I've learned from Detroit, it's of course we have the right answers. It's just that we rely on outdated infrastructure to, to solve, our, solve our problems. That we wait for philanthropy or for the wealthy um, to come in and save us. And I don't think it's a saving. I think we're already saved. I think, I think that we are resilient. I think that Detroiters are brave and bold and beautiful. I think the humans I've had the immense privilege to encounter um, with ideas are practical. It's very Midwest. It's very practical. Um, it's not, it's not um, looking to solve problems for 30 years down the road. It's to solve for tomorrow. And for today, really, we have real needs and we can wait for later or we can take care of it now. Yeah, I'm afraid that gentrification will soon happen to Detroit now that people are catching oh, it is on happening to its to development. Um, I've lived in a neighborhood that has been pretty quiet. I mean, it's three miles outside of the downtown. And this summer, two coffee shops and a CrossFit gym opened up. Very fascinating. Um, it was considered when I moved here 10 years ago. And I kind of stumbled into this knowledge, not... I need to recognize, you know, I want to recognize that I don't want to play savior. It's just an observation of the place that I'm living. It was considered one of the poorest neighborhoods in all of America. And it was considered that because of the education, resources, how far away you have to go to get the things that you need and how there isn't jobs in my neighborhood. There is, you know, there isn't, you have, you know, 60% of Detroiters have to leave the city to go to work. There's, you know, that's interesting. That's fascinating. It has some of the highest car insurance rates, you know, just like you have, like you start to play the game of like weaving in the highest poverty rates with some of the highest uh, costs of living. And then all of a sudden you're just like, this is insane. 
And so it's easy if you've had access to wealth, it's easy to buy a house. It's easy to find a loan. It's easy to rehab um, with the bank's money or you take a longer approach to things and you, you buy your home or from the land bank or you buy your home off a land contract or maybe you don't buy your home at all. Um, development starts to happen when a street decides, you know, your neighbors decide I'm going to fix up your house and start, you start sharing resources and knowledge. Um, I think that's really how I understand the world to work is shared knowledge and understanding. Um, it's about people not hoarding their resources, but sharing them. And when a larger developer comes in and, and takes over a building, which again, I can literally look out my window and turn my head to the right and see a building that is supposed to be for the community. And then the community comes in and they're like, well, you can't use that. You can't use that. You can't use that. You can't use that. Well, and then, you know, I recognize everything needs a revenue stream. I recognize that, but at what cost um, to the community? And, and um, there's a new restaurant that I didn't know was a restaurant until it, oh, that opened up across the street for me too. And um, they've towed cars in front of our house a bunch of times. And you're just like, man, did you not do the work of being a part of this place? Because if you're a part of it, you need to know that like, you don't need a security car. This, this, I've lived here. I can tell you that nothing happens here. That your fear is driving you of what you think is supposed to happen or what could happen. Rather than just like letting it be. And I think that's it. Like we always are protecting or perfecting in white wealth. And I think that's really sad. Um, this restaurant's definitely not for this neighborhood. And uh, I think that when we started soup and, and when Detroit was doing what it was doing from 2010 to 2015, it feels very different than what it's doing now from 2015 to 2020. So, or 2021. And I mean that because when you have billion, when when billionaires dump billions into a place and put their workers into it, it's just it changes and it changes its energy and its trajectory. It changes its vision and values. Um, I'm proud of the work that we've done though in the community up until now, and the only the only the future is yet to be seen. So I, that kind of sounded a little sad. <laughs> well to talk about the future and what has developed from Detroit Soup. Um, can you speak about how it turned yeah. into a global movement? Yeah, it's so exciting. It, I, 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 I'm overwhelmed by how many people have taken on the model to use in their own community. It's free to use. It was always open source because it was never, it wasn't mine. I didn't develop the, the, the name or the idea. So, you know, it was always just open to use, open to others to take on. You know, we built it this way because it worked for us. Um, I think there is mechanisms into soup that are pretty universal. Um, there are, every continent has, has a, a soup happening on it. Um, I think during this this lockdown and, and quarantine, people have found ways to do it online. Though I don't, I think it loses its loses its like its charm when it's happening online. Um, I think it definitely is is an is a is a experience that should happen in person. Um, I think when we see each other, when we can touch each other, when we can physically walk up to someone and, and have a conversation, both as a diner and as the person that pitches. I think the experience is, you know, it's built for those with ideas, but it really is built for those experiencing those who are pitching the idea. And I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with um, how people gather. So I have my master's degree in theology. In the middle of me attending seminary, I, I, uh, moved away from my belief system. I, I allowed for parts of my belief system to die, which is fascinating. But what didn't die is my love of community and connection and gathering. Um, 
I love people gathering where they live. I think it's really important. I think my observations of those starting soups is that people get more people when it's not connected to an organization or an organization puts on the dinner that it's citizens putting on the dinner. I think something we've forgotten in our, in our race for capitalism is that we're always citizens first, we're not consumers first. I, I believe that at least. I believe that we're always citizens first. And I think America, we struggle with that because I think we love being consumers. We love to consume. Our identity comes with the things that we've consumed and what we can consume. But I believe that we are citizens first. I believe that we always can shake up and to alter the way things are by citizen approaches. It takes longer, but I think when it's rooted in something of value of each other, of access, of, I mean, just, you just saw in Georgia, your vote actually does matter. You citizens chipping away at disenfranchisement, it takes time. Nothing good comes quickly, nothing. It needs to be rooted. And when, when the winds shake, the roots stay firm. Uh, and, and I think that that's what's exciting about, about, about how soup has grown is that if it's rooted in a community by the people in a community, that it grows naturally and then it isn't forced or coerced. I think through a democratic approach, like voting at soup, we vote to our best interests or to the, to the hope of the best of us. Um, I've watched in Detroit how people vote towards, if like a homelessness organization pitches, man, it will always win. Because I think it's, it's what happens when we look at each other and say, there are problems I don't know how to solve, but you seem to be chipping away at the solution. And there are no silver bullets. That's what I've learned the most too. And now granted, I'm not playing with millions of, or even billions of dollars, but I've yet to see a billion dollar approach work either. So um, we've noticed that these fast growing tech companies that take on these billion dollar valuations often become the, often don't really solve anything, but create new problems. I don't think there are universal approaches to solutions in what I've noticed. And that by soup, just growing. I mean, now I'm going on in a tangent. You're, you're, you're watching my brain go. But I think that um, citizens have, have, have found this, this, the narrative of soup and, and thought, hey, I can do this too. And so in the last year, I've built a website, soup.global, that is just a shared resource website. There's a guide that will help you learn how to build your soup. There's different... There's all, you can see every soup that's been built. You can see their, their graphic approaches. There's no, there's no one way to do soup. There is a set of core values, which is basically just a few things. You can't use topics because topics limits your audience. That's about the one rule that I feel like I've learned across the way. A group in, uh, in the first year, there was a group in, Memphis that took it on from their food network and within the fourth dinner there, there wasn't new people coming because I think we feel like you have to be an expert, especially in America, you feel like you have to be an expert in something. So I always joke that if, if soup started with um, urban agriculture, there's no way that I'd be sitting here talking to you because I'm not interested in it. I'm, I'm grateful that other people do it, but it's just, it doesn't toot my horn. It doesn't, I'm not that excited about it. I love though, I've learned more in the last 10 years about urban agriculture because there's a place at the table for it to exist. We're sharing knowledge, we're sharing resources. Um, I think it's one of the very few things because it isn't topic eyes, it doesn't feel like a, this has to be a networking event and it doesn't feel hyper entrepreneurial. It deeply is rooted in community. It is definitely a community connection dinner. It's definitely about communal exchange. And that's what I think why it continues to work and why people are excited about taking on the model. Um, 
and using it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to give me any, you don't need permission to use it. Um, though I'm fascinated with people telling their own stories, which people don't feel like their story is worth telling, which is really sad for me. And that's like, I think the work that I wanna do in the next like five years is like figure out a way for people to know that their stories are valuable and that they're worth being heard and that the kernel of, of ideation that's being exchanged in that evening, like in time, the seed definitely grows with support and exchange. And most people just at the dinner, just find courage. They find belief, they, they, they feel heard, which is really hard to evaluate. But man, is it magic. And man, does it really um, sprout in beauty, which is not something that your credit score can evaluate. Yeah, I think there's so much power in collective agency. Um, and I agree about like, being citizens over consumers and even not just citizens, but producers. So mm, these people mm, mm. are citizens, but they're producing these ideas. Their community members are producing the money to fund them for these ideas directly, immediately. Immediately, and, with no strings attached. Yes. And that's, I also see the distinction between that and participatory budgeting, which people yes, say, yes. oh, that's democracy. But it's like, you're still waiting. There's still bureaucracy that you have to go yeah. through. Yeah. And the I... ideas aren't necessarily coming from the community members themselves. It's not as grassroots. It's more like for infrastructure and mm -hmm. things that take time. Yeah. And, cha and good change takes time. Mm -hmm. um, and good change is rooted in... in communal dialogue, um, which I don't know if there's a perfect way to do that, but I, I don't know it. Soup isn't a silver bullet. It's just an invitation to each other, which I think is being lost. Um, I think it's just kernels of beginnings. Um, you gotta start somewhere. And I think soup is one of those places that we can celebrate new beginnings, um, which is hard. And it's so overwhelming and it's nerve wracking. It's so vulnerable. Being new is vulnerable. Um, new ideas need to be nurtured and supported from outside of your natural network too. I mean, your friends want to protect you. They don't want to see, and your parents or your, your, your family, they want to protect you. They don't want to see you be hurt. But we have to, we have to go out there and we have to put our, you know, allow ourselves to be Man, weather has been, you know, keeps coming up in this conversation the way that I talk about it. But I do think it, 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 it is like when the winds come, like how strong are you to your idea? And when people, you know, what do you feel, really believe? Like, I love that people will really beat themselves up. I mean, I don't love that part, but I love that like they'll practice, practice, practice their pitch. And then there's four questions from the diners. And then you can see someone's idea really flourish after the pitch is over because either you believe in it or you don't either you're you're spooky you've seen i've seen multiple times like people just like have the most beautiful polished pitch and then it came to the question and answer section i was like they're gonna win and then the question and answer section would come up and then you could see how they haven't thought critically or thoughtfully about their idea and i love that like in the beginning too and i think it still happens now and I think it can, you know, people are like, well, I'm not really interested in winning. I just really want feedback on my idea, which, oh, that's so beautiful. Winning isn't everything. What is winning? You win when you're ready. When you've, when you've trained and you've practiced and you've gone through all the stuff, you know, that's when you start to win. Um, but just in the, in the midst of pitching, it isn't always about winning. I think it is about the exploration and the journey. And the journey is not easy, especially for a lot. Of, I mean, I, I, as someone who started my own thing, man, I have, I have been knocked down and, and, and 
it has taken me some years to pick myself back up because this stuff is really hard and it's, I've made it personal. I thought it was about me. Some of the stuff it was about me, you know, when you're fundraising for your own, you know, for your own salary, man, oh man, oh man. On an idea about ideas. Whew. And then you have to, you know, other people want to make it about Shark Tank and then they go down, man, I've been thrown into entrepreneurship so many times and I don't belong there. And it took me a long time to recognize that I have to fight for it as a community development idea. And that's hard for people because it's, because it doesn't fit in a particular box. It's never, I'm not, I don't have an MFA, so it's not artistic enough. It's not about teaching people how to fill out a, a ballot. So it's not democratic enough. It doesn't like fund entrepreneurs a, a, a lot. So it's not entrepreneurship enough. So what is it? Well, it's community. And it's hard to pin down when it's, when we are a myriad of things. When it is a beautiful array of ideas of, sometimes it is just, I need $500 to finish this community garden. That's it. I don't want much more than that, you know? And that's hard for people who are used to funding big ideas to feel like, well, what is that? Well, is that even enough? Of course it's enough. If, in an, if, it, if for a summer people got together and, and learned who their neighbors were, that has long lasting support. That has long lasting benefits. I think that's really powerful and important. Definitely. And I also... Um, love the idea of the diversity of topics in relation to um, like being resilient through that windstorm because mm. when there's diversity you're building more community resilience um, and also mm. in terms of being vulnerable that really helps to build trust amongst the community too so more beautiful things will develop from it um, and not just trust amongst community members, but trust in themselves that they're yes. vulnerable enough to get on the stage and speak oh, to their project. I love that you, you, you picked that out from that because that is what it is. It, it, it's a, it's a, I always felt, you know, Detroit is such a, there is such a segregation of this place. You saw it in this last election with Michigan, you know, um, kind of going almost their votes being taken away from us. Um, you, you have to hear each other, you have to see each other. And when you see each other speak and you, you see truth, you see beauty, you see, you see our humanness, you see each other's vulnerability. It, it chops something away internally that it's really hard to speak to. It's, it's hard to say, I, I, it's about, yeah. I always said $5 was enough of, you know, the, it was able for families to come and participate in the city, but it also was enough of a risk for someone from the outside to come in and, and, and share an experience um, that was outside of their comfort zone or their knowledge zone. But people are curious. They're hungry to understand more. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, like some people don't want to know. And that makes me bummed. Um, but those who are open and willing to listen and to, to challenge ourselves and our own understandings of how a place works, that's exciting to me. And it's, and it's hopeful. And it's the time that all these things need to take to, to, to challenge ourselves and challenge our own prejudices and challenge our own value systems. And it, to challenge, the thing that I learned the most about that soup was like, we would do a pitch practice before, like the day or two before the dinner. And the hardest thing was to have people say, well, this is to, to hear was, this is what I thought you wanted to hear. I said, you don't know what I want to hear. You know what I want to hear? Your truth. That is it. Tell me your story. That's it. It could be hard. It could be beautiful. It doesn't matter. I just need you to tell me your truth. At Soup, it isn't about how you can polish your message. It's about how, how you can tell your truth. Because you can't bullshit in four minutes. You, can, you, you can't, you can't, I mean, you can. I've watched people do it. 
Um, but in four minutes, either you know it or you don't. Yeah. And people resonate with authenticity. Like people bing, can bing. call bullshit. Yeah. Big time. And, and, and we know when it is. And, and, and it's so hilarious that like we have Instagram where we like put on a illusion or whatever, because we all know it's an illusion. Like we know, like somewhere in us, we know it's the illusion. Um, and we're, you know, I always find it fascinating that people follow influencers. Like, why is that interesting? Like, I, I don't know. Like, that's just outside of who I am and what I do. And it might show my age a little bit. But um, the thing I believe in the most is that we need each other. We need to see each other. We need to know what each other need from each other. And it's old-fashioned soup because there's such a lack of use of technology. Like, I use technology in the sense that, like, I get the word out through it. Um, especially around like the global soup model, which is so like fascinating to me because it is all just like built about online interaction, um, about online sharing. Um, but after that, it's about, you know, if I travel to your town, I can look up to see if you have a soup. And am I lucky enough to be able to encounter it on that, on, on the day that I'm there? The odds of it are small, but I think it's uh, exciting to watch that anywhere in the world you can joining together matters and being in a place where you live matters and that we can support each other. We can do it on a way where all people feel invited to participate and that $5 isn't limiting. If you have more, feel free to give more. But if you don't have it, you should feel like you should be able to still come and participate. And that's important to me. And hopefully those who, who, who make the dinner happen. Yeah. And I think that the internet is beautiful in a way that it's created this global network of sharing stories too. Mm, yeah. um, and like on your point about influencers, for me, I would much rather hear a story from someone that looks like me or has mm. gone through a difficult journey and mm, mm then I can feel like, oh, if they can do it, then I yeah. can do it instead of this person that already seems like they got it all figured out. None of us have it all figured out. I, if anything, I've learned from this journey and been, been put on, on other people's pedestals at certain points. It's just like, uh-uh, this stuff is so hard. I do not have it all together. There's so much I don't know. There's so much that, oh, sorry, the, yeah, the, that this journey is just difficult life is hard the stuff is hard and and the the times that are the most beautiful is when i've been wrapped into the community and and feel supported by the people who live here you know this is my home and especially in the last year like when i'm actually out and about like when i go to the grocery store and i run into somebody that i know like i'm just, just so living here just it it, it it reminds me why i live here and, and why this place is so magical and and wonky and imperfect and I love all of those things so and I love, oh, oh oh no go ahead and I'm just saying that I love that it's by people that don't look like me and don't have similar experiences and that I'm that I'm being offered an opportunity to every day to experience something new and I think that's exciting so can you share some of the types of projects that are proposed during the soup and some success stories sure oh success stories okay there's a myriad and i have to ch i challenge myself a lot i uh, on this on this narrative because i can tell you ones that have like been like stories that blow up and become this big thing and that's exciting but i also think that the things like a community garden that is seasonal is really exciting too um there's a story out in Brighton, England that like blows my mind. And I, and I, and this story is like something I, I need to, I need to talk to the, I, I, okay, here's the story. From what I understand is there's a kid who had some learning disabilities and a way to deal with that was that he loved making bread dough, delivering the dough to, to, to people um, so they could make their own bread. They could bake it when they were ready. So he wanted to, at soup, he pitched that he would take the money that he earned from soup and he would 
buy a bicycle so that he could deliver more bread to people. And in it, his dream was to build his own bakery. And that through soup and through the connections that he made, he was able to, you know, yada, yada, yada. He now has his own bakery in Brighton, which is insane to me. It's so beautiful. And he had always had a, a place in mind. He wanted to open it. And it was through that, through time and through communal exchange, you know, people would see him riding his bike and then they would tell him about someplace else. And then he did a Kickstarter campaign which is really always really hard, but was able to like raise the money to open up his bakery, which I just think is really beautiful. Um, there's a there's a town, it's a very small town outside of Manchester called Mosley, which has been impacted by the decline um, in manufacturing. And it's a pretty tough town, like a lot of poverty there. But they've been super resilient and soup they do it like four times a year and it is the thing to go to like hundreds of people come now um i went and visited them a couple years ago and i missed my train twice because i was just enraptured by their story um and the beauty of the people that came together um they do it out of like a homeless shelter slash like cafe slash um thrift store thrift shop and they open it up and there's a kid who, oh, I love this story. There's a kid who won because um, their, their skate park was pretty run down. And so he was like, I want to build up the skate park. And then by the win, got attention to the city council and then the city council doubled down and helped raise money for this kid to do the thing and their skate park. And I just think like, that's it. Like, look it, I spoke up. I stood up and I said, I want to do this thing. And it's the community that rally support. And then we put it in the paper, which I couldn't, like, he was like, I was so, I'm so proud of this. I have three copies. Um, and people took note and paid attention. And it, and it didn't come through force. It came through vulnerability. It came through telling the truth. It came through a spark. It came through an observation. It came through, not through like, having to beg, but by sharing the identity of, of it. Um, there's a group in Detroit. I mean, there's so many stories that I could tell here. Um, you know, I, I, I paid, I, we did this the other day. There was our 10, like a 10 year anniversary, but so it had to be on over Skype, but, or Skype over zoom. Um, and it was two girls who wanted to start an entrepreneurship program for young people, um, specifically black entrepreneurs. I just, I thought it was such a great idea. And through even the 20 people that were on, on the line, they got access to the right people for, for this were, were, were at the table and were able to give them act like, oh, did you, did you talk to this person? No, I didn't know this person existed. Did you talk to this person? No, I didn't know this person existed. And that's it, you, you tell your truth People, you know, you, you tell your truth and you are vulnerable and you say what you need and people will help you, you know, around Detroit. People are, want to help. They want to get you into that place. Um, and all of the ideas are incredible. Like ideas that even didn't win was like a rent party to like help people stabilize their rent in a time when people really need it. Um, I think it's always a reflection of the time, of the place, um, what people feel comfortable. I think often people look at what somebody else has done and said, well, maybe I can do that too. And then there's sometimes you get people who are willing to like, there's a group called Rebel Now. Um, they make jewelry out of graffiti. Um, and then they hire women from the local homeless shelter to help transition them out of homelessness. It's a big project and they want it soup. And not only did they win, they, they, you know, they had tapped out their credit cards. They had like tapped out like on all of the things that you do when you start things. Um, and not only, you know, Sue gave them a boost and then they were on local media and then the BBC came and knocked in. And so they got to tell their story through that. And yeah, I just think all of it is just really beautiful. And, and, and the stories are just like that, you know, people with ideas, telling their story. And so 
my hope in the next couple of years is that I can capture those stories more and that there's a place for people to listen to that um, and get inspired by it. Um, I don't want to do it the day that they win. I want to do it six months later. Because I think that's where you get to see the, the, the beauty of the unfolding, which takes time. And that to me is exciting um, and hopeful and the power of, of the experience. This three hours of togetherness actually has like really long-term impact. Those are all such amazing stories. So heartwarming. <laughs> Guess what? It was people taking chances and taking risks and, and trying it. Like that's what I've learned the most from soup is you got to just put yourself out there. And yes, is it vulnerable? A hundred percent. I'm not going to lie or pretend that it's not. And some people just aren't ready to take on that vulnerability. I mean, there's times I'm not ready to take on that vulnerability. Um, it's hard to be denied when you, you want it so bad. Um, but I think it's, if you can be resilient in, in, in the picking yourself and trying again, talking to people, asking people for help. I mean, I mean, again, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm, I'm thinking about my own journey and ask, needing to ask people for help. And I'm not Superman and I can't do it alone. And that's what, you know, we have to remember the best ideas are happening when we do it together. And I, that sounds so high, like so cute, doesn't it? Doesn't that make us feel good? But it's the reality of it. And I think it, it, it makes us feel cute because when, it's, when it actually happens, it is. It is really cute and it is wonderful and it is heartwarming and it is about the work that needs to be done. And we, we can't do it alone. And we need people from different age range and different apparatuses and different understandings to help us build our build build the thing. Yeah, definitely. It's intergenerational. It's meeting needs. Um, and as a human, we're here to be of service. So whether that's fulfilling a need in a community and helping someone by giving them seed money to to fulfill that need it's like it's just this circular relationship that just fills our hearts it fills our cup yes and 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 you need to feel like you're not alone and 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 you have to be ready to ask and be willing to be willing and there's so many ways to approach it and the way that i've learned about detroit is that like take your time listen, listen to each other, um, be willing to be open, to be challenged your own assumptions, be willing to, to know that you're worth doing it. Um, that you don't have to be an old white, rich, rich white man to have access to stuff. And then I've learned that when you don't depend on that, like silver bullet, um, and then when you, we look to each other, you can do it make those things happen you make you 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 surround yourself with people that are on the journey with you that's exciting it's so exciting it's so hopeful yeah i would love to get a compilation of these stories it would be beautiful in a film format i love that that's what you said oh my gosh like that's my dream it's to i think it's like a my dream and i just need to say it out loud is that it is a I think it's a TV show and I think it's something where it's about place and it's about a town and you tell the town, the tell of the town and it can live in, I just need to say it. Um, uh, it's, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but I think in the next like couple of years, I think it can be manifested. I do, I do, I do, I believe it. Um, that it is a, a documentary series that could live on for quite a long time. I think it could be, stories where you hear what the next pitch is but then you go back to the people who pitched and you get to tell their stories and then five seasons later you can come back and say so what'd you do you know so that 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 storytelling is cyclical and, and exciting and I'm not going to hoard that idea I think it needs to live in the outside um because it's real I think that I think people would be fascinated by it I I, I because guess what it's it, because it's lived on its own for 10 years. Oh, I love this idea that it's not a, it, Americans, you know, if you ever watch the, 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 the show Chopped, I, 
it's fine. It's whatever. But it's also about like, oh, life is hard. And like, we've all like lived in this, oh, we've all been like hurt by it. And I have to like, I have to like hit over the counter of the mountain to live that $10,000. It's just like, it's, you know, like, okay. But everyone has a story and let's not manipulate the story. Let's not find a sob story. Let's not, because that just only separates us. It doesn't make us able to, to help and be able to like live our narrative and we can live our truth. And like, there are times that like ideas just die. We can tell that story too. We need to tell that story. What about my assumption was wrong? We can, can we not tell that story? I think we should, we should tell both of those stories. All of those stories get to live collectively. And then it doesn't have to live shallowly that we can live deeply, but we need to use it not just to feel manipulated, but like, to be empowered and that takes time and that's the, not the american way <laughs> but it can be and it needs to be and i think it can be yes you've already put it out there well i've been thinking about it for a while it's got to be but you know i'm working on work uh i but i have you know the website is is the you know it's it's being it's built so like the infrastructure is there and so I need to finish reading my book because then like that, again, like allows for a permission for people. Um, and then, uh, yeah, when, when the infrastructure I think is strong, then like you can pitch at those things. Cause then people are like, well, I have no reason not to. And then I don't have to like scamper at it and be like, ah, I gotta do this really, really fast. And like, we just gotta, ah. so. And me, you know, I just got to be thoughtful about it. Um, and that's my, you know, I think it's a couple years away to doing it, but that means a couple way, couple years to, to do it right. Definitely. And the website's already very beautiful and thorough. And you have those many documentaries that you did with the BBC on Detroit and Nepal. So I'll definitely link that in the show notes so people can take a look because those were beautiful. They are really, and so, you know, like, it's been a journey. It's not been easy. I mean, I, I, you know, I want people to know that I burnt out. I burnt out by doing this. I, I worked too many different ways. I was trying to do everything and I was trying to do it by myself. Um, and, and I've taken about a two year break and now I'm like hungry again. And the universe just keeps reminding me not to give up because it's conversations like this that remind me to keep, keep fighting because it's, it's my time. It's our time, really. And if I can be the catalyst to allow it to happen, my dream is that like, yes, I like make it happen for the next couple of years. Like I do some stuff, but like, if nobody knows my name from five years from now that we were, I was the one to like make it happen. And it just happened naturally. You don't have to know my name. Like that's, that's a t I, like tr truly it would be an honor to live outside of, you know, I think that's the dream for me that it, it's not about my legacy, but it's about our legacy collectively. And if I'm just the one to make that happen, I do, I believe that and I mean it deeply. Yeah, I also believe it's our time, especially during this pandemic as the current system has proved to be very unreliant. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on how do you see the pandemic as an opportunity for revitalization in communities? There's obviously an opportunity. Um, I mean, I think for me, I've just like got really quiet this during the pandemic. I've used it as a way to get really quiet, be really retrospective, to be able to tell my story. I think we'll go back. I, I, I think I, I think we need. I think more than anything, we've learned how much we need each other. Doing it via Zoom is is a people are tired. We need it. You know, we can't live this way all the time because I just don't think it's going to work just um work that way obviously it's not working that way um there's an opportunity I don't know if I'm the right one to to, to I think I'm ready for for when we get back together I don't know if during this time I'm the right person to think critically about it because I just I don't feel I don't feel honestly I'm just not that intrigued by it I'm not I think I'm just trying to take care of myself right now, which I think is all we're all, all of us are trying to do is to, to make it through, you know, these, these conversations get me excited about the future. And then we'll, you know, we'll get off this conversation and I'll have a very quiet rest of the afternoon. I think the joy that we'll feel of each other 
when when we're allowed to to embrace will be really that's when I think I'll be I'll be ready to run I think you answered that question perfectly because that's exactly what we need during this time is an opportunity to go inward um, because we can't really do community revitalization until we revitalize ourselves and I think we've we've in this time it's like especially after yesterday's coup literally coup though that's a real word that I just said out loud you know I, I'm so privileged to have so many allies of Black Lives Matter, of, of reaching and pushing and wanting humans to have like, to, to matter to each other, to hear each other, to see each other. I mean, my, my, my feed of like Instagram is just only speaking of people saying, I'll wait. You guys, if, if, if white supremacy wants to bite for something that's just feels so shallow and out of out of falsities and and for non-truths like i'll wait you guys go and like you know i'm, I'm so sad that someone like walk like that so uh we have so much to build on so much to change and it has to be about equity and right now it is about black lives mattering it, it, it's about fighting for privilege. It's about fighting for equity. And I don't know if it is just about capitalism. I, I don't think that it is personally. Um, it's about fighting collectively. And there's enough for all of us. If we believe, I believe, I do believe in democracy. Even foolishly, I believe in democracy. I believe it deeply. It's about the one thing I believe in the most. It's fragile. It's broken it's it's not perfect oh it's like all my favorite words i'm not perfect you know like it's messy it's fear it's built on fear of each other but man i think we can there are ways to make it different and it can change i've watched people change i've watched people change by democracy both good and bad and when you try to make falsities and build untruths it's shallow I, I take the long-term approach. I don't think, I don't, I'm not looking for quick, quick fixes. So how do you envision a change world? I don't know the long-term. What I do know is that small groups of people who have a shared energy, a shared dialogue, a shared sense of change means we might have to sacrifice a little bit of something so that all of us get a little something. I do believe in equity. I do believe in uh, equality. I believe in, I don't have all the answers. I have so much I want to change too about myself. And I've been in the last 10 years, man, blown away by my own lack of understanding and put myself into positions to challenge myself, to listen, to hear, to change, to, so as much as I love to talk, man, I've shut the shit, like shut up. I've just shut up and let other people speak. And there's just new opportunities for me, which I, you know, I'm excited for a whole opportunity for others to take on their own journey of taking on soup. And I think there is a different way of telling the stories and, and telling the truths and watching beautiful stories exposed and explode. And I think it's less about feeling sorry for ourselves and taking on the mantle and doing the work and not feel sorry for ourselves and not apologizing. How is your experiences with that? Do, do you feel similar or do, do, does it feel kind of pie in the sky by saying it? I don't know. I, I agree with you in the sense that change definitely comes from within and it starts with listening, listening to yourself, taking time to listen to others. Cause then once you can shut up and listen to others, then you have a greater sense of understanding and I think a lot of the shit that's going on comes from a lack of understanding each other. Yeah. And I think we all have to take risks and tell our truths and, and say how we feel. And I can make jokes. I'm good at it. And I can, I can stay in my own little zone or so in my world, but like, it's been better when I travel, it's travel. It's allowing myself to just recognize that I don't have all the answers. I, I found something that I love deeply, which is just 
giving people the permission to say I can I can be a part of changing a place. I don't think I have the right answer. I think I just have an answer that's part of an ecosystem that that allows people to start. And that's what I think I'm good at. Um, and I believe people when they say something, if that's what you're passionate about, I go for it. I don't know what the right answer is. I think there's a lot of good answers. Um, and all I, I think you just got to try. And I think we can try by changing a narrative and changing an approach and, and, and challenging each other. That's all you got. Like, we can change it. Because I've watched, I've watched Detroit. I've watched people say, uh-uh, we're doing it differently. We're doing it my way. Like, all right, I'm, I'm on board, man. That's what you think. But if you, I think it comes down to like cer certain things. Is it always just about you only the one making money? Mm, that's, mm, okay. Well, a lot of people do that. Has it solved anything? Mm, maybe, sometimes. Yeah, it's all about balance. Just as the ecosystem is balanced, we need to create balance within ourselves and our communities. Um, but thank you so much, Amy. Thanks this... for having me and letting me just barf my thoughts and feelings. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to listen to you. Um, and, to and vice versa all of the stories that have manifested from this small idea that you had that is now global. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I'm just, uh, it is, you know, I have not made any money by doing it, but man, have I been immensely blessed to hear, watch people find confidence, find joy, find beauty, find neighbors, find community find hope by challenge their own fears I think mostly and that they are worth it whomever they are you know I think that's exciting absolutely thank you thank you thank you so much for tuning into this episode I'm on a mission to get these little known solutions out to as many people as possible so please help me by sharing leaving a like and a review if you would like to stay in the loop about future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast or my newsletter at cooperativejournal.com. Because I didn't say save the world, I said change the world, improve it, make it better than we find it.